Hello, and welcome to another podcast for U.S. History Repeated with Jimmy and Gene. This is Jimmy LaSalle. In today's podcast, we are going to cover the Harlem Renaissance. Harlem, once home to Native Americans and filled with farms, the Apollo Theater, Strivers Row, Langston Hughes, W.E.B. Du Bois, Alain Locke, and Marcus Garvey are just some of the things that we're going to cover in this podcast. But before I turn it over to Jean-Anne, I do want to remind our listeners to follow us where you listen to podcasts. We are just about everywhere now. Spotify, Audible, Amazon, tell Alexa to play us, iTunes, Google, iHeartRadio, just about everywhere. Check us out, follow us, and maybe check us out on social media too. And now, here is our resident history expert, Jean-Anne Zanakis. Jean-Anne, take it away. Or maybe for the Apollo Theater, I can say, Jean-Anne, it's showtime. All right. So in keeping with history during the 1920s, today we're going to be discussing the Harlem Renaissance. Now, you must be saying to yourself, oh, well, she's, of course, going to be talking about jazz today. Wrong. I will not be talking about jazz today. Our next episode will be an entire episode devoted to jazz. So hang tight for that discussion. Today's discussion of the Harlem Renaissance, I want to first start talking about the history of Harlem itself. Harlem has such a rich history. It was once home to Native Americans before the arrival of Dutch settlers who renamed the area New Harlem, but with two A's, named after a town in the Netherlands. And Harlem was once a place filled with farms. When people think of Harlem, they think of the Harlem Renaissance. They think of the Apollo Theater. The Apollo Theater was once a theater for whites only. It wasn't until 1943 that the theater was open to black patrons and black artists and musicians. Harlem is also known for being burned during the American Revolution. George Washington famously led the Battle of Harlem Heights in 1776. Throughout the war, the British occupied certain areas of the city for years. Harlem has been home to a number of important people in history, and we're going to talk about a number of it. their famous residents throughout this episode. And it was once, of course, the home, albeit short-lived, of Alexander Hamilton. Mm. Harlem was once home to Jewish, Italian, and German immigrants. As elevated railroad lines were extended further north into Manhattan, it encouraged the movement of people. Overdevelopment in the neighborhood led to a number of empty buildings and apartments. And one of the most famous streets in Harlem, and if you ever do any of those great walking tours there, they will, of course, take you to Strivers Row. So the homes along West 138th and West 139th would eventually become known as Strivers Row. They were built between 1891 and 1893 by developer David H. King Jr. for elite Manhattanites. The homes were advertised as having shared courtyards, which could also be used as stables, eventually a coveted driveway for one's cars. And for people who have grown up in the five boroughs or the cities, you know the importance of a coveted driveway. Arkansas. Yes. <laughs> Many a time I circled for 30, 40 minutes looking for a spot. 
what happens to these beautiful homes? Well, they sat empty. There was a financial panic of 1893. It led to a recession. And these elite Manhattanites for which these homes were built, they didn't come. They sat empty for years, in fact. And the Equitable Life Insurance Society funded the building project and they foreclosed on the majority of the units. In 1919, the homes were sold to black residents for $8,000. Leaders of the black community or professionals bought the properties seen as wanting to elevate their status with their new address. The homes became known as Strivers Row. Strivers Row was not the only empty developments in the area. Like most newcomers to major cities, whether through migration or immigration, many settled in tenements or slums. For Black Americans, they found that white landlords would not rent to them. Real estate agent and business owner Philip A. Payton knew firsthand of the struggles of Black Americans and what they faced when looking to buy or to rent a home. He himself moved to Harlem, and he begins to steer other Black families and individuals who are looking for a place to live to Harlem. As more and more Black residents filled the once empty and foreclosed apartments and homes, many of the remaining white tenants left Harlem. And today, Peyton is often referred to as the father of Harlem. The Harlem Renaissance, it's an intellectual and cultural revival of African-American art, dance, literature, music, politics, and theater. It began in the 1920s in New York City, and it would eventually spread across the country and last for multiple decades. If you are looking for a window into this time period, I highly recommend looking at the photographs of James Van Der Zee. He is most known for his portraits of black New Yorkers and his work provides the most comprehensive documentation of the Harlem Renaissance. Definitely check him out. Literature during the Harlem Renaissance. We have to discuss Langston Hughes, who is often considered the voice of the movement. He goes to college in New York City. His first poem is called The Negro Speaks of Rivers and his most famous works include Uh, Mother to Son, The Weary Blues, and The Ways of White Folks. Zora Neale Hurston, who attended Howard University in Barnard, she was an anthropologist and a writer, and her work, Their Eyes Were Watching God, Barracoon, the story of the last known black cargo, which really is a a must-read in my opinion. It tells the story of Cujo Lewis, who at the time was thought to be the last known survivor of the Middle Passage. Years later, there would be other individuals who become found to be the last known survivor. But at the time, he was thought to be the last known survivor. But it's an incredible piece of literature. Famous artists of the Harlem Renaissance, like Aaron Douglas, who coined the concept of the New Negro, which he deemed to be a reinvention of African-Americans from the terrible past trials and tribulations that involve slavery. He is considered the father of African art. His painting and murals often focused on social issues like race and segregation. And he actually helped to found the art department at Fisk University. In terms of activists of the Harlem Renaissance, we have to talk about W.E.B. Du Bois, 
Alan Locke, and Marcus Garvey. We dedicated an entire podcast episode to W.E.B. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington, which, if you haven't listened to, be sure to check it out. Very briefly, W.E.B. Du Bois, he is considered the architect of the Harlem Renaissance. He's a sociologist, an educator, a historian, an activist. He's known for helping to found the NAACP, the NAACP's newspaper, The Crisis. Many of the voices and artists of the Harlem Renaissance are featured in that newspaper. Throughout his life, Du Bois continued to write about race, human rights, and politics. He publishes over 20 books and edited even more books like The Negro Church, The Negro American. He also wrote articles for other publications like the Atlantic Monthly and the New Republic. He is credited with helping to usher in a new era of African-American literature throughout his work. Alain Locke, he referred to the Harlem Renaissance as a spiritual coming of age for African-American artists and thinkers. For the first time, the African-American experience was being told by African-Americans. His life is full of important accolades. He studied at Harvard. He was the only black student in his graduating class. He was the first black Rhodes Scholar. He studies at Oxford. He was a professor at Howard University. He was an author. He writes uh, a book called The New Negro. And this book challenged old stereotypes and challenged the current generation to replace those stereotypes with new ideas of black identity. The book encouraged young black Americans to get educated and to continue to work for civil rights. He is also a gay man, an aspect of his life that he could not be fully open about because of the harsh prejudices of the time. He was a philosopher, a writer, an educator, a patron of the arts. He played an instrumental role in the development of African-American culture. Locke was an advocate for African-American arts, culture, and literature. He wrote extensively on the subject of race and its effect on art and literature. In 1925, he organized what becomes known as the Negro Art Exhibition, which featured pieces by African-American painters and sculptors. Locke was a driving force behind the Harlem Renaissance, believing that this era of intellectualism and creative expression was essential for the advancement of African-American society. I also want to talk about Marcus Garvey. He is also an influential figure during the time period, but he's also a very controversial figure. Garvey is a Jamaican-born civil rights leader and entrepreneur. He's a major figure in the 20th century Black nationalist movement. His primary goal was to help Black Americans around uh, and, and Black people around the world, not just in America, but around the world, achieve economic, political, and social freedom. He founded the Universal Negro Improvement Association, It's an organization dedicated to promoting economic and social development among African-Americans, as well as encouraging them to embrace their heritage and culture. Garvey was a pioneer in the Pan-Africanist movement. 
which advocated for global unity among black people and encouraged this, you know, these diasporic communities to unite in the face of racism and white supremacy. His goal was to empower the African-American diaspora and create economic opportunities for African-Americans, both at home and abroad. He organized boycotts of American companies, which he felt were oppressive and advocated for the establishment of Black-owned businesses. Garvey called for the migration of African-Americans to Africa. And this is where a lot of people consider him being controversial, believing that that would be the only way for African-Americans to experience true freedom and equality. Garvey also had a strong influence on the music of the Harlem Renaissance, encouraging the use of traditional African instruments and rhythms in jazz and blues and other popular genres of the time. His speeches also encouraged the audience to explore African culture. When you think of the Harlem Renaissance, it is this time of increased creative expression and cultural production by African-Americans, primarily in New York City and, of course, the Harlem neighborhood. This notion of a new Negro movement, as it was called at the time, was fueled by this resurgence of pride in Black culture, in heritage and identities, as well as there being greater economic opportunities for African-Americans and the arrival of thousands of Black migrants from the South to cities throughout the United States, otherwise known as the, the Great Migration, which we'll talk a bit more about. Today, we can take away several lessons from this moment in history. First, we can remember the importance of giving a platform to diverse voices and ideas. During the Harlem Renaissance, Black artists and writers were encouraged to celebrate their culture and create that art that was reflective of their experiences. We can also learn that education is vital for achieving lasting social change. I also think we should be inspired by the individuals who fueled this movement to be bold and be encouraged to tell your story from your lens, to celebrate your uniqueness and your culture, and to know that you and it have something incredibly rich to add to the world. The impact that these three square miles of neighborhood known as Harlem would have on the development and history of the United States continues to be felt today. Harlem provided the space for ideas and creativity to spread and flourish. As a New Yorker, I have to say that every neighborhood has a vibe and a history that is uniquely its own. The influence of the past residents of Harlem to its current residents have made it such a special place. I love walking tours of cities. Harlem has a bunch. Go on a walking tour. Visit a music club. Eat at one of the many incredible restaurants like Sylvia's. Visit the Schomburg Center. See a show at the Apollo. Take a walk down Strivers Row. Speak to residents. Ask them about their neighborhood, what they love about it. Open your heart and your mind to the incredible history that Harlem has to offer. Black Americans moved to Harlem and many other 
major cities throughout the United States through what becomes referred to as the Great Migration. During the Great Migration, more than 6 million Black Americans moved from the predominantly rural South to northern cities like Harlem. The catalyst for this move was the need and want for more opportunities for Southern economies, strict segregation laws, the revival of the KKK in the 1920s, and the job opportunities that were available in Northern and Midwestern cities. Life in Northern and Midwestern cities, while it provided more opportunities, it still wasn't easy. Racial tensions in cities increased. You have racism, even violence erupting. Um, The summer of 1919, for example, in a number of cities, it wasn't always easy to find a place to live. And so you have many cities and even states had these restrictive covenants within the housing market. And it prevented Black Americans from buying or renting a home or even redlining, which prevented Black Americans from being approved for mortgages. And these discriminatory practices wouldn't be deemed illegal until the Fair Housing Act of 1968. So when we talk about Peyton and how he helped individuals buy a house, rent an apartment, you have to understand that he truly is the father of Harlem. Without him, you you have these buildings laying empty. Without him, it, it is not as easy to get a place to live. There is a great article in the Smithsonian Magazine by Isabel Wilkerson and came out in 2016. And in it, Wilkerson states the following about the Great Migration. And, and this is a direct quote from that article. By leaving, they would change the course of their lives and those of their children. They would become Richard Wright, the novelist, instead of Richard Wright, the sharecropper. They would become John Coltrane, the jazz musician, instead of Taylor. Bill Russell, the NBA pioneer, instead of paper mill worker. Zora Neale Hurston, beloved folklorist, instead of maidservant. Uh, Another famous individual, James Earl Jones, the famous actor of film and stage, he is a part of the Great Migration. He was a young boy when his family left the South. James Weldon Johnson, the writer of Lift Every Voice and Sing, which, which is often called the Black National Anthem, he is part of the Great Migration. He moves to Harlem. In addition to being a writer and a poet, he is also a lawyer and a leader of the NAACP and the Civil Rights Movement. So an incredible amount of talent moves from the rural South to various cities throughout the North and the Midwest. And they have these opportunities that they would not have had otherwise. Jean Ann, thank you very much. As always, fantastic job. Catch up with us next time when we cover jazz music. That should be a very cool episode. Maybe we'll have some music in there too. And we will see you then. Thanks for listening to U.S. History Repeated. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Parlor. Visit our website, ushistoryrepeated.com and subscribe to our podcast. There's always more to learn. Talk to you soon.